And so, yeah, if you could turn with me to Romans 8, 29, and 30, if you could all rise at the reading of God's word. And uh, we'll actually read it all together. It will be on the screen. It's just starting from verse 29, which is the next slide. Uh, So we'll read it together. This is the word of God. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of God. You may be seated. And let's pray before we uh, begin our sermon. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for your generous grace that you pour out on each and every one of us every day. Father, thank you that uh, though the sun shines on us, whether we believe in Christ or not, uh, indeed, it is those who call upon the name of the Lord who know the sweetness of salvation and the sweetness of life with you. And so, Father God, as we consider uh, these words of Paul, uh, your servant, and what it means uh, to be be recipients of the benefits of this great golden chain of salvation. I pray uh, that you would open up our minds so that we may understand, soften our hearts, that we may uh, accept your word uh, as the word of God, and would you bless us in a way that uh, we would run towards you and not away from you, Lord. Lord, how your thoughts are so much higher than ours and so incomprehensible to us, and yet you have put your will and your heart and your mind in the form of human writing in a way that we can understand. And so even though there was so much mystery yet to plumb, um, you offer us in. You offer us a way in, and you invite us into your presence even now. And so, Father, would you bless this time? Would your Holy Spirit stir up within us so that we may know you more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So uh, today in the uh, women's group event, talked about one of my favorite memories, favorite childhood memories, which was the 2003 American League Championship Series where Aaron Boone, the current manager of the New York Yankees, but back then he was the Yankees' third baseman and he hit a walk-off home run to not only win the game for the Yankees, but to win the series. It was game seven in Yankee Stadium, hit it to right field, and uh, that was one of the greatest moments I've ever experienced uh, in my life. One of the lowest and worst experiences happened the very next year, when once again, in the American League Championship Series 2004, the Yankees were up three games to nothing. And I think you know, if you know anything about sports, I think you know where I'm going with this particular story, especially the way I prefaced it. And I remember, I remember so clearly that game four. And even Red Sox fans, like they were getting like celebrity Red Sox fans and doing a pregame show. And they were like, you know what? Like it was a good run, but you know, no one has ever come back from a three nothing deficit in the history of sports. And so let's just enjoy game four. And enjoy it, they did. (laughs) And then game five. And then game six. And then finally game seven when the Yankees completed that utter collapse. And the Red Sox would not only go on to win 
those four games, but the very next four games in the World Series, and they would win their first World Series since 1918. And I remember, just like every Yankee fan, every base, every sports fan at the time in 2004, I was what, 13, but every sports fan in the world said there was no way that the Red Sox would come back. It has never, ever happened in the history of baseball. The game which has been played in this playoff format since the late 1800s, right? This has never happened before. And we were all so sure. We were absolutely certain that this could not happen. And yet the collapse indeed did happen. And I learned from that age that whether in sports or in life, there are no guarantees. There are no guarantees. There is nothing in this life that we can be absolutely sure of. There's nothing in this life that we can be absolutely sure of. And yet, that is exactly the point that Paul is trying to argue against as he writes this letter to the Romans. Uh, As he writes this letter to the Romans, Paul is trying to convince them that there is something you can be sure of. There is something that you can be absolutely confident in. And that is that you are saved and you are secure in the arms and love of Jesus Christ. You are absolutely secure in the love of Jesus Christ. And so from Romans 1 all the way, even to the end of Romans, uh, he shows them piece by piece, Bible story by Bible story, natural evidence by natural evidence, building this case that there is, you can have hope. There is hope for you. Because it's so easy, either for the Romans and even for us, it's so easy to be convinced otherwise. That indeed, we are, that are we really in the love of God? Are we really in the arms of Christ? Because we look around at the world, we look around even in our own lives, and we just see hopeless situation after hopeless situation. And we just, we're just surrounded, and even maybe we're filled with the darkness of our present age. And we say, how could, in the face of this hopelessness, how could God possibly say that we, there is an absolute certainty uh, that we are in the arms of love, in the arms of Christ? How can we know? How do we know that? And again, I, and I hope that you will join me in reading this glorious book of Romans, because example after example, time after time, Paul gives a case and he builds the evidence that Despite the hopelessness of the world and despite the hopelessness of your own sin, you are saved, you are secure, not just now, but for eternity. And because of that, even though yet you suffer now, there is a glorious future that awaits you. And we can look towards that glorious future because we know that we are secure. And in this passage today, the verse 29 and verse 30, Uh, It's often been uh, called the golden chain of salvation. The golden chain of salvation. 
that we are saved and we are secured because we are fastened in the golden chain of salvation. And so today, we're going to talk about this golden chain. We're going to talk about the golden chain that we read about in verse 29 and 30. And I'll talk about it in three ways. First, we're going to talk about the links in the golden chain, what the chain is made out of, the links in the golden chain. Second, the shape of the golden chain. And third, the Lord of the golden chain. So those are our three points for today, the links, the shape, and the Lord. The first is the links. So let's read, I'm going to read for us our passage once again. For those whom he foreknew, so count with me on your fingers, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so we see there are five links in the golden chain of salvation. Now, in this particular chain that Paul brings up, he doesn't list every element of salvation. You can see that he is conspicuously missing sanctification, which if you're, if you're theologically inclined at all, it's a very important part of salvation, but he doesn't talk about sanctification here. He doesn't talk about adoption, and so even though he talked about adoption a few verses earlier, doesn't bring it up here. Uh, he doesn't talk about mortification, which is us killing sin. And I'm throwing all these big words at you, I don't know, maybe because I'm full of myself, but also just the fact, just to highlight, uh, there are aspects of salvation, aspects of being saved uh, that Paul doesn't mention here. And so the golden chain of salvation, though it is called that golden chain, doesn't encompass every single thing about salvation. So uh, just get that out there. Um, <clears throat> but let's, let's look at the five links that Paul does bring up. Right? He brings up those whom he foreknew. He brings up the foreknowledge of God. And how is this essential to our salvation? Well, um, I'm, I'm going to mention this book like at least three times a year, but it's Knowing God by J.I. Packer, one of, my, one of the best Christian books ever written. I really highly recommend this summer you, you try to read it. Uh, but J.I. Packer, and I've said this quote multiple times, and I think it's worth repeating, he says this about knowing God, so us knowing God. So what matters supremely is not the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. So what matters is not that I know God, but the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, who, one who loves me, and there is no moment when his eye is off of me or his attention distracted from me, and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. In the doctrine of God's foreknowledge, that he foreknew us, that he knew us before the beginning, before be, even before the beginning of creation, he knew us. And his, this love is a knowledge of love. Uh, this, let's just say love. This knowledge is a knowledge of love, my bad. And this knowledge of us, on one hand, can be terrifying because God, that means God knows every dark secret that you've ever had or thought or possessed. He knows you better than you know yourself. 
and he knows all of your pain and all the things that caused you that pain and he knows why you continue to live in that pain and all of your struggle and all of your hurt and yet his knowledge is not just simply oh I know those facts about you but his knowledge of you is comprised of his care for you that he doesn't simply know you and say oh that's cool but knowing all of that about you he holds you in the palm of his hands that he knows you as a friend, that he's willing to listen to all of your struggles, all of your hurts, even though he already knows them. And there is no moment where his attention will be distracted from caring about you and for you. So that is the foreknowledge of God. How are we saved? In what ways are we saved? How can we be assured that we are saved? Because God knows you. Not only does he know you, but he has known you. And not only has he known you and knows you, but he will forever know you. So that's foreknowledge. Uh, let's look at the second one, predestination. And this is, a, this is a spicy word, especially in today's Christianity. But I'm going to sum it up the way that Charles Spurgeon summed it up. And by the way, there's going to be a lot of quotes in Bibles, uh, Bible passages today, so hang on to your seats. But Charles Spurgeon says this about predestination. I believe that every particle of dust that dances in the sunbeam does not move an atom more or less than God wishes. That every particle of spray that dashes against the steamboat has its orbit as well as the sun in the heavens. That the chaff from the hand of the winnower is steered as the stars in their courses. What he's trying to say there is that there is not an atom in the entire universe, not a particle in this entire creation that does not move without God saying move. And so that's all predestination is. It is God saying, I have deemed it so, and so it will be so. And so if we say to ourselves, am I truly saved? Am I truly within the arms of love of my Savior? We are reminded of God's predestinating salvation for us. That though, though we may think, Things in this world are random and chaotic. They are not because God is in control. And so we see the foreknowledge of God, the predestinating of God, and the justification of God. We are justified. And what does it mean to be justified? Justification means we are declared righteous. We are declared righteous. Justification is a declarative act. It is someone saying something about you. If I were to walk down the street and someone said, hey, guy in the white shirt, I would say, I, would, I wouldn't say anything. I would just keep walking by. Why? Because what they have declared is false. What they have declared is not true because I am a guy in a black shirt. Right? And yet, here is the divine mystery of the gospel, that while we were yet sinners... While we were at enmity with God, while we said, God, we want nothing to do with you, God said, I want everything to do with you. And though you are a sinner, I have declared you righteous by the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. And so what happens when we are justified by God's saving grace is that God sees us on one hand, and then he sees the definition of righteous on the other hand, and he says... 
I see no difference. Us on one hand, justified, righteous, holy on the other hand, and he says, looks the same to me. And it's not that God is ignorant. It's not that God doesn't know that uh, clearly there's a disparity here. Because we are like people in black shirts walking down the street, and God has said, you're wearing a white shirt. How is that possible? Well, it's because of the grace of Jesus Christ. That we are declared righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done. And because he has lived the perfect life that we could not live, and he has died the death that we should have died, his righteousness becomes our righteousness. And so, even though we're walking down the street in a black shirt, it's as if we're wearing the white shirt. And so God is not lying when he says you are justified. He's not lying when he says you are righteous. You have been made whole. He's not lying because we are indeed clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So we are justified. Um, Let's consider calling. How is calling related to our salvation? How does it secure our salvation? Well, one, we are called to follow, right? We are called to follow Christ. Christ says that only the sheep... Not only those sheep, but only his sheep hear the voice of their shepherd and follow him. Christ calls his own, and his own will follow him. But not only do they follow him, uh, kind of like you know when you make a line in kindergarten and they all just kind of waddle over to the playground. It's not simply following, but we are also called in participation. We're called to participate in the saving acts and the saving work of God. I mentioned earlier that Paul does not uh, mention sanctification or being made the process of becoming holy. He doesn't mention that in this golden chain, but it's sort of implied in the calling. That when you're called by Christ, you're not simply saved from sin, but you're saved to righteousness. You are saved to holiness. You are not only called out of death, but you are called to life. And therefore, you have to live like you're alive. It means putting to death our sin and bringing to life the things of God. And finally, there's glorification. Uh, Because even though it is completely secured, our salvation is still not yet complete. Because we look towards the day. When Jesus will come again to establish his kingdom on earth and bring us into the fullness of his glory. Because we are saved and we can be absolutely sure that we are saved because we have been foreknown, we have been justified, we have been called. And, and yet we know we still live in a world filled with pain and struggle and suffering. And we ourselves experience pain, struggle and suffering. And we know that something is still not yet completely okay and right. And Jesus is going to come again, as he has promised to do, and he has never forsaken his promises to us. He will come and bring us into the fullness of glory. And so those are the five links of the chain. And I hope that knowing each one of these links, and and this is a journey of a lifetime, just to consider the implications of these five links, brings us into a closer security and assurance of our salvation. Um, But there is a misconception about the golden chain that 
uh, when we see these golden, when we see the links, and we, and we consider these links individually, we think that you know some are for the present. I mean, some are for the past, right? Some are things that have already happened, and some are things that are happening now, and some are things that are going to happen later. And so uh, I just need to focus on like the things happening now. So like the the called part. Um, and uh, I don't really need to worry about the other things because those are already happened, and uh, and some things are not going haven't happened yet, so I'll worry about them later. But that's because we have a misconception about the shape of the golden chain, the shape of the chain. And so we see here, indeed, I got this off of the Gospel Coalition. But oh uh, no, stick with that one. Right. So we see. We think, we think of this chain, and we think the chain is just it's like a, it's just a line, right? It just goes from point A to point B to point C to point C, and it's just chronological. It just goes this way. But the links, and any analogy is not going to be perfect, but the links are not really so much like a chain, but it's more like chain mail. It's more like chain mail, all right? The links are not just connected to each other chronologically one after the other after the other, necessarily, right? Because all the links of the chain are related to one another in a glorious weave, right? Uh, so we can't just be like, all right, so uh, predestination is something that happens like before creation, and so it has nothing to do with me now, right? But we have to consider, what, so what are, have you been predestined to do now? What is your purpose now? And what is your purpose going to be later on in life? That's just an example. But this chain, this golden chain of salvation, all these elements of salvation, the reason why I want to say it's more like chain mail, because chain mail, if you know anything about uh, medieval armor, right, they're not exactly like one size fits all. And it's got to be in the shape of the wearer, right, the chain mail and the armor. And the chainmail takes on a certain shape because it's in the shape of the one whom it wraps, if you will. Because the chainmail, the chainmail of salvation is in the shape of Jesus. <laughs> chainmail is in the shape of Jesus. And all, every one of these links in the chain tells us something about Jesus, Right? Philippians 2.12, Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation, and your own salvation includes all of this. Work out your predestination. Work out your justification. Work out your calling. But what does that mean? Well, put it quite simply, to work out our salvation is to look more and more like Jesus. To look more and more like Jesus. And the amazing thing is, that the, that the armor of Christ, that the chainmail of Christ has been made our own. It's, been, it's, it's our own now. It's, we can lay claim to it. You might remember Ephesians 6. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Where does this armor come from? It comes from Christ. We only put on the armor that Christ has first put on himself. And so we see all these links of the chain, but we know that these chains are in the shape of Christ. And so, 
How can we be secure of our salvation? How can we be assured that despite the crappiness of the world around us and the sinfulness of our own hearts, how can we be so sure that we are in the arms of Christ? Well, it's because of Christ himself. And this is our last point. Because of the Lord of the golden chain, our salvation is secure. Because it is Christ our Lord who has gone before us, who dwells with us now, and will come again in glorious might for the sake of the salvation of his people. It's about Jesus. Our salvation, ultimately, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It starts with Jesus, it continues with Jesus, and it ends with Jesus. We are not saved because we felt a certain way. We are saved because of facts. We're not saved because of our feelings. Oh, I f- and sometimes we worry, like, am I a Christian? Because I don't, I don't feel in love with Jesus right now. Right? Have you ever thought that? I, I, I wonder if I'm truly a Christian because I don't feel like worshiping right now. I don't feel like reading my Bible. Am I really saved? And let me tell you, you're not saved because of your feelings. You're saved because of the facts of the gospel, that Jesus Christ has died for your sins, was buried, and was raised again from the dead. That's why you're saved. We are not saved, again, in another sense, because of our principles. Living up to a certain standard, living up to certain ethical or moral principles, right? We're not saved because of our principles. We're saved because of a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And in that same vein, we are not saved because of our behavior, but because of our Savior, right? Oh, God, right? And so our salvation is in Christ. Our salvation is in Christ. And that's the point that Paul has been making from chapters 1 all the way to chapters around like 10 or so, right? But it continues on into 16, right? Why are you saved? Christ. How do you know that you're saved? Christ. How can we be secure in our salvation? Christ. Christ, 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 Christ. It's just like one 16-chapter-long Sunday school lesson. Hey, kids, who saved you? Christ. Who's going to keep you saved? Christ. Who's going to keep you saved forever? Christ. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And so we preach the gospel of Christ when we preach the golden chain. When we think about the golden chain, that's Christ. But you know, the reason why we can see these things as good news for us is because Jesus saw these things as not so good news, right? You think about the foreknowledge of God as it applies to Christ. What did God foresee about Jesus? Acts 2.23, Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. In God's foreknowledge, we were loved. In in God's foreknowledge of Jesus, he was cursed. What about predestination? In our predestination, we have been set apart for salvation, set apart to be his. But we see the predestining all the way back in Genesis 3.15, And God says to the serpent, right, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And what will the woman's offspring do to the serpent? He will bruise your head 
That's cool, but you shall bruise his heel. Jesus Christ, yes, he has crushed the head of the enemy, but not without a price. And he has been predestined to take upon that cross, which is our salvation. What about justification? God has declared us righteous, but that's because Christ has taken on our unrighteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You take a Lysol wipe, and you wipe the surface, and you say, wow, the surface is so clean now, but now the nasty is on the Lysol wipe. And now, this podcast is publicly available, so I'm, I'm trying not to get in trouble. But uh, it's not that Jesus is now sinful, but he has taken the penalty and the cost of your sin so that you are as white as snow in the eyes of our Father. Uh, what about the calling? See, God has called us into this wonderful adventure to follow him and to participate in our salvation. What did God call Jesus to do? Well, Jesus... He wanted out of this calling. <laughs> he did not want to be a part of this calling. He said on the night before he was betrayed, on the night that he was betrayed, he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We have this beautiful calling of God because Jesus fulfilled his calling to take upon himself, the, to drink from the wrath of God's cup. The cup of God's wrath? I think that's better. To drink from the cup of God's wrath so that we would drink the cup of blessing. That's why I wish our church, I, I, you know, I'm going to talk to Muslim about this, but uh, I wish our church did communion more. Because th- what is that saying? It's saying that we get to drink this cool little package of grape juice, right? And when we drink it, it's the cup of blessing. We are t- drinking in the cup of blessing. Why? Because Jesus is taking the cup of wrath. And finally, in glorification, how do we, where do we see Christ? Well, we see the opposite of glory, actually. As we read in Isaiah 53, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And earlier in that chapter, it says, it describes Christ as one who was disfigure, disfigured and stricken as cursed by men, that men turned their eyes from him because of how unglorious he was upon that cross. We think about our salvation and all of its elements and all of its links. We rejoice because our salvation is in the shape of Christ. And because all of its promises are secured in the Christ of the gospel. And so when we think about this golden chain, it's not so much link A, link B, link C, but all of it is wrapped up in our union with Christ. All of it is wrapped up in our union with Christ, that Christ has made himself one with us, that every chain has seen to his demise, but has seen to our rise, our life. Um, And so to conclude, and sorry for taking so long, but I don't know, this is sort of a banger uh, of of a passage. To just conclude, again, there are no guarantees in life. We know that. You can, 
eat as healthy as you want and work out and sometime down the line you, you get some debilitating disease. Who knows? It happens, right? Other way around, like, you know, you hear stories of, like, dudes who've been smoking a cigar a day, like, every day, and they live to, like, 106. It makes, what? There are no guarantees. There's no assurances in life except this, the guarantee, the assurance, the security of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if there's one thing that you can be sure of and that you will be sure of, it is that you are saved in Christ. You are secure in Christ. And Christ loves you a lot. Christ loves you. We can be assured of our salvation because it's secured in the links of the golden chain as we have been foreknown, predestined, justified, called, and glorified. We, it, our salvation is secured and we can be assured of it because of the shape of the chain, which is our union with Christ. And it is secured in the Lord of the chain who exchanged his golden chain for a crown of thorns so that we would be saved. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you save us, and not just save us, but you save us in all these ways, and all these, um, and all these links of this golden chain of salvation. You have secured us, you have rescued us, you have redeemed us, and you have made us one with Christ. Indeed, the Christ who for our blessing has become a curse, for cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. It is for our, so that we may be known in love that you have known him in wrath. So that we may be justified, declared righteous, you have laid on him the unrighteousness of his people. That you have called us into blessing and um, adventure with you, and you have called them to drink of the cup of wrath. Called us into great glory while you have disfigured him upon the cross so that we may know the glory of God, that we ourselves might be raised up in glory with him. Father God, may we consider our salvation in these terms, not only in the links, but in the one who has secured it for us, our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. That Lord, we might, we might doubt, we might struggle. In fact, we will doubt and we will struggle. Yet we know that we are secured not by what we feel, not by what we do, but because of who your son Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. And so we are secured from eternity past. We are secured now and we will forever be secured. Thank you, Lord, that you not only save us, but you secure us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.